pretty big statement, but this this particular sermon series is is growing. Uh, what do they say? Exponentially. You know, if it if you're just adding, um, but exponentially is like you know, exponent is not just four times four; it's four times four times four times four, right? And and so there's there's an exponential increase on this, and and I don't know really. We could preach probably for another year or two on this subject, fellowship with God. And in physics, and I know less than uh, this much about physics, but in physics there's this concept of the theory of everything, you know, where they're trying to, to come up with one theory that explains them all and explains everything. Well, we know that as God, right? Um, but when we say the theory of, of everything, what I mean by that as it relates to the subject of fellowship is that fellowship provides the context. Um, it's, when I say it's all about fellowship, remember fellowship is, is as much God as love is God. God is love, God is fellowship. Um, it's, it's intrinsic to who He is. If, if you took fellowship out of the Trinity, there would be no God. Um, it's God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. They are an e- eternal community or an eternal fellowship. And they created you and me uh, to invite us in to that eternal community uh, with them. And an understanding of that. I know, I know for some this would sound like a, you know, just another one of those word of faith doctrines, you know, one of those extreme doctrines that, you know, they get tired of talking about everything else, so they try to come up with something really outlandish to, to talk about. And so now he's just on this whole thing about, no, 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 again, please hear me. This is not uh, fringe uh, teaching. Now, for some, unfortunately, um, as far as mainstream religion is concerned, it may seem a fringe. But when it comes to the heart of Father God, this is not fringe. This is central. This is central to his heart. Um, there's, There's no other explanation when it comes to what he's done for you and me, what he's given to you and me, the position, the rights, the status, the opportunities that he's given to you and me. Nothing else, no other theory uh, will explain it outside of just his simple desire for fellowship with us. And when we talk in terms of fellowship, we're talking about something uh, much greater than relationship, much greater than the, uh, what I call a myth of a personal relationship with God. You know, if I, if I was to stand in front of you tonight and I was to say that I have something with God that nobody else can have, that I have um, something with God that's private and secretive and it's nobody else's business and it's something that I designed to suit my own uh, agenda and need. I mean, you'd look at me like I was, you know, crazy because, that's, again, that's not God. That's not what God desires to have with us. But what I basically, if you were here when we preached that sermon on personal relationship, that's what personal means. It means secretive. It means exclusive. It means self-designed. And so, you know, Father has something so much better for us. And in this year of significant shift, this is, I think, one of the more important significant shifts that he's wanting us to make. And that is shifting from this idea of a personal relationship with God to what he truly desires to have with you and me, and that's fellowship. And as we've said before, you know, go back to what we know from the Bible was going on before the Bible started, before Genesis was written, and you have an eternal God existing in three persons, God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit, an eternal community. They created us 
in their image, in their likeness, compatible uh, and comparable and compatible. And then we read through the Bible and we come to the end and now we see that those who have desired him and have chosen him are now at a wedding feast and they're, they're the bride. They're the bride of Christ. And when you look at the two major, um, and I, I keep saying the two major, there's, there's the vine and the branches that I think is a subset of the body um, imagery and, and reality that we have in the scriptures. But we are clearly, according to the scriptures, we are the body of Christ and we are the bride of Christ. Not figuratively, literally. He said, to make it clear in Ephesians, uh, flesh of his flesh, bone of his bones. Not, um, you know, metaphorically or it's like this. No, it's not like this. It exactly is this. And, and what we see in both marriage, marriage is oneness created by a covenant. Body is oneness created by seed. And fellowship, as we've defined it many ways to get a, a, a ever fuller and, and more comprehensive picture of what it is, we talked last week how you know, fellowship uh, with God, or for that matter, fellowship with, with other people, uh, it, it requires this oneness. It requires this, um, and I know the word equal, and I've tried very, very, and the Holy Spirit's going to help us make it even more plain. There's a difference between equal to and equal with. My thumb is not equal to my pinky, but they're equal with one another when it comes to function. And so we're not equal to Jesus, but he has made us equal with him. And I know that, again, it's, I, I want to do a, this more justice in, in a future uh, sermon on this, lesson on this. But as, as bizarre and as, as, you know, somewhere, you know, on the other side of fantasy, on the other side of heresy, that sounds, when you look at equality from the sense of um, uh, rights and uh, opportunity and access to the Father, um, verse after verse after verse in the Scripture you know, you're an heir of God and a co-heir with Jesus. You're loved with the same love as Jesus. You've been given his name. You've been given his nature. You've been given his glory. You've, you know, the same glory that was given to Jesus has been given to you and me. The same love that was given to Jesus has been given to you and me. And so when I say it's the theory of everything, I don't, I'm not trying to make this a theory. It's truth. It's eternal truth. But I'm talking about fellowship is the one thing in, in my experience up until this point in my growth and development is the only thing that enables all these other things to make sense. And so it comes back to this context, right, where, where we need the context of fellowship with God in place in our hearts and lives. So when I say this, this uh, subject is expanding and growing exponentially, it's because I'm doing this in my own study, in my own life, my own meditation, my notes. I I don't think what I do is journaling, and I, um, but I keep like daily <laughs> notes, I guess it is, I don't know, but anyway, um, it just when I meditate on the scriptures and I try to organize them in, in ways that, um, in, my, in the technology, the, the, the Apple products that I use, iPhone, iPad, uh, MacBook, that sort of thing, um, and as I meditate on the scriptures, it's like the Holy Spirit, no matter what the subject is, He's showing me how it relates back to, to fellowship. 
Um, and even like one of the great assignments of the church, which is evangelism, uh, sharing the gospel with other people, you'll never, you'll never understand evangelism the way you need to understand evangelism until you understand it within the context of fellowship. And, and that is that Father's heart is for not just people to be saved. I mean, obviously He wants them to be saved. But why does He want them to receive the gift of salvation? Because in their current state, they, they are not compatible with Him to have fellowship with Him. The salvation is necessary. Are you following me? The, the removal of our sin once and for all is necessary for there to be uninterrupted, unending uh, fellowship with, with God the Father. And so when we talk about being the body of Christ and the bride of Christ, things that, I mean, we're going to probably go back to, and if we get here in just a minute, talk some more tonight about the body of Christ. But notice in both of these, there, the oneness that is fellowship can can be produced um, by two separate means, and that is covenant, we should say maybe blood covenant or covenant, and seed. And so <laughs> when it comes to our oneness with God, it's, it's, the, um, it's both. It's not, it's not either or, it's both and. Um, the, the marriage covenant, we've become the bride of Christ, that's oneness created by a covenant that has made us one with, with God, one with Jesus. And then the new birth uh, has now made us the body of Christ where many members but only one body with Jesus being the head of that body. It's, it's like this. If I could go off subject just for a moment to maybe reemphasize this point and then we'll come back. When we speak in terms of our salvation... Sometimes, you know, you read one part of the Scripture and it seems like we've been adopted. And the Bible has a lot to say about adoption and a spirit of adoption. And, and, and you know, we've become children of God, sons and daughters of God through adoption. But then the Bible also talks about our becoming the offspring of God through the second birth, being born a second time of the incorruptible seed of the Word of God, being born of God's Spirit, being born of above. And when you look at that, it's like, okay, which one is it? Have we been adopted or have we been born of, of his seed? And the answer, again, it's not either or, it's both and. And this was significant because in their day, uh, men would adopt sons, but not from a sincere heart. They would adopt uh, a young man, that, you know, fatherless or, or you know, orphaned, and would adopt that uh, boy, not because he legitimately wanted to make him one of his sons, but he would adopt him because now he became basically free labor. And so he's just got a whole bunch of adopted sons that go out and work and really don't have the same, again, access, opportunity, status as uh, one of his uh, children born naturally. And so the law then came that if a man was going to adopt an orphaned son, he had to give him the same status as the firstborn son and the same share in the inheritance. So we see then that we've been born of God's seed. Amen. And so this absolutely makes us his sons. And remember what Jesus said, if, if, you know, that he came so that we could abide in Father's house, be free from sin and abide in Father's house forever. 
in John chapter 8. And that's, of course, speaking of the new birth. So we're in Father's household because we've been born of His seed. We, we are His offspring. We've been born from above. We've been born of the Spirit. We've been born of the supernatural seed of God's Word. Just like Jesus was born as a human being supernaturally by the seed of the Word of God and the Holy Spirit and from above. Okay? But He, he doubled that... Um, I know practically nothing about gambling, and I understand doubling down on something is, is, could be construed as a gambling term, and I'm not trying to use gambling terms on this, but when I say he doubled down, it wasn't enough for Father God just to say, okay, <clears throat> Daniel's been born of my seed. He's my son. See, Daniel's the youngest of, of uh, three sons, <laughs> okay? So um, John Mark, when he was little especially, he could push Bethany's buttons by you know, by reminding her that he was the firstborn son, you know, telling his older sister that, all right. So why is that significant? Well, in the Bible days, the firstborn son would receive the, uh, the, the bigger portion of the family estate. And they did that for a lot of reasons, but one of the main reasons was to try to keep the estates intact. And if you keep dividing them and dividing them and dividing them, after several generations, there's very little left between everybody. And so the family name, the family estate, and all these other things. And so when we are born of Father's seed, that's one thing. We are abs- absolutely his, uh, his offspring. But then he also adopted us <laughs> and made us a co-heir, a joint heir together with the firstborn, with the only begotten, now the firstborn among many brethren, Jesus. So we are heirs of God and co-heirs, joint heirs together, with Jesus. We talk about fellowship, and I know these are strong words, and I've got a lot of this in my notes. We probably won't get to all of it tonight, but, but we're talking about equality in three areas. Again, um, status, rights, and opportunities. Status, rights, and opportunities. Um, as, as I mentioned last week, um, Matthew and I and Meredith, we all came from the same womb, Adelphos, right? Um, and in a lot of ways, uh, I am equal with Matthew, but I'm not equal to him because I could never be the firstborn. So equal with, equal to. And, and in Jesus' case, obviously there's, a, there's a, bigger, <laughs> a bigger gap there in the sense that he's a savior of the world and all, all these other things. And I think that's where so many people choke on this. All right, But remember, without this um, comparability, without this equality, again, not equal to, equal with, equal with in status, equal with in opportunity, equal with in rights, or we could say access, okay? Um, So we have the same access to the Father because we go to the Father in Jesus' name. Hello, are you with me tonight? I mean, I'm just... I, you know, it's I don't I don't know what I expect when I stand up here. I just I, I'm I'm believing you're hearing this and you're and you're receiving it and you're just amen absorbing it and it's 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 impacting you and landing in your heart and life the way it's landing in mine. But man, I just these are like they, you know, Matthew talks about sometimes when when they sing a song and how real Jesus becomes to him when he's singing a, a song that the Holy Spirit's led them to and that sort of thing. And, and I understand that and, and, you know, have certain songs that I have to listen to a whole bunch of times where I can even get through them without crying, that sort of thing. But then this, this kind of stuff right here, man, it is just becoming so alive and, and, and real and transformational um, 
in, uh, in, in my own heart and life. And, and I so want you to acknowledge the good things that are in you. I didn't, I say this a lot, but I want to say it again tonight. I didn't write these things in the scriptures. I didn't negotiate this deal for myself. I didn't insist on this. All this is Father's doing and it's marvelous in our eyes. Because again, the only thing that will ever make sense of any of these truths, because you're either going to read these things as he is, so are we in this world. I will never leave you nor forsake you. I will be with you always, even unto the end of the way. When the Holy Spirit comes to live in you, he will abide in you forever. And on and on from there, okay? Heir of God, join heir with Jesus. Come boldly to the throne. Seated with Jesus in heavenly places. The only thing that would make sense, and I just gave you a sampling of verses that come back to status, access, opportunity, uh, rights as citizens of, of God's kingdom and also as members of his household. So the only thing that would ever, like, why would he do that? I mean, these things in and of themselves um, <laughs> point to uh, fellowship as, as their reason for being. There's a, I know that I've said some things over the years that I've had to maybe kind of adjust and modify. Um, you know, in the Old Testament, people didn't go to hell they didn't make it to heaven. They went to a holding place, but at least they weren't burning forever. And, of course, Jesus came and preached the gospel to them and led the captivity captive and that sort of thing. And so I'm not trying to make um, you know, shock value statements here, but I don't think it is a stretch, and I don't think it takes much of an imagination on our part to imagine that God could have kept us out of hell without making us a joint heir with Jesus. And if it was just about, it's okay, look, I don't want, that's, that's a harsh punishment. I, you know, we got to get the sin out of the way so they can have a shot at least at making it into heaven one day. And, you know, we'll let Peter toss the coin when they get here, some of these reprobates, you know. And no, see, again, I'm being silly on that, but that's the, you know, again, the worldly view of heaven instead of the heavenly view of the world that so many people have, you know, that Peter's like at the gate looking for your name or something, you know. But anyway, let me, let me get back on track here. Do you understand what I'm saying? He, he, didn't, he didn't have to seat us together with Jesus in the heavenly places to get rid of our sin. There are all kinds of levels beneath what we have been given that would have been very satisfactory for me, and I'm sure for you. Anything better than burning forever with Satan in the absence of any light, any goodness, any life, any, you, you know, okay. Um, but, but that's not where Father stopped. He didn't just stop with a fire escape. He didn't just stop with, um, you know, matter of fact, he said those he, how about this one in Romans 8, we read it in class, and those that he justified, he also glorified. <laughs> I mean, just... If he'd have just stopped it justified, I'd have been happy as a clam, right? Just as if I'd never sinned. But no, he, he justified me so that he could glorify me. And the glorification is oneness with him, fellowship with him, same fellowship that Jesus has with him. It doesn't get any higher than that. Are you know what I'm saying? There is no greater honor than that. There is no greater uh, 
uh, reward to, to be bestowed upon anyone. Uh, you know, we, I think there are remnants even of us being created for this because, you know, the one thing that, that people want is they, they want on the inside, they want in the in crowd, they want to be accepted and, and, and all, because and it's hardwired into us, but, but it's not humankind's acceptance that, that will, I mean, obviously we want to be accepted by other people and loved by other people, that's important, but what we ultimately long for is that oneness in that acceptance into the eternal community that is God. Are you understand what I'm saying tonight? I'm at, there are times that I've got all these notes, but I just kind of just want to share my heart with you. And, I, and so he, he didn't have to put his spirit in us forever. He didn't have, I mean, I'm glad that he did, but, you know, I mean, again, putting a new spirit in me, that's, that's what new birth is, right? Old spirit, spirit, soul, and body, old spirit buried in an unmarked grave with Jesus, raised up together with him in newness life, puts a new spirit in me. Born again, new spirit, okay? I mean, I'm saved, but he didn't stop there. After my new spirit, now he put his spirit in me and filled me up with himself. The only, the only answer to the question is, why would he do such a thing? It's fellowship. It's fellowship. Well, Pastor Mark, so we could better serve him. He's not interested he is not interested, and read the Bible. He's not interested in you serving him outside of the context of fellowship. There are all kinds of people who do all kinds of things for God that never, never get his attention. It's not it. It's just, he calls it filthy rags, self-righteousness. You, I'm not saying what we do isn't important, but what, what makes it beautiful to God and acceptable to him, right, is, is when we're doing it from the right heart, from the right attitude. Is that not what Jesus taught us? Don't do it to be seen. Don't, don't think you'll be heard for your many asking because you're such a devoted prayer warrior storming the gates of heaven. We're going to kick down the gates of heaven. You ain't got, you've got a key. They're open. You, but see, again, it's this whole what we're going to do, self-help mentality, how we're going to make it happen and all our goodness and all this other stuff. And, and what Father is, is longing for from all of us is fellowship. And so when I say it's the the theory of everything, I don't mean that it's theory, it's eternal truth, but I'm talking about it's the answer for, for why. We, we see this in Scripture. The Bible says he, does, he didn't send any help to the fallen angels. No help. They fell, and I'm not trying to put words in his mouth, but Father God's basically like, see ya. Gives no help to them. We fail. We vacated our position. Adam, where are you? The Bible talks about Lucifer and those angels that fell, that they vacated the position that God put them in in heaven, fell from that high and lofty place of standing before the throne of God with pipes built into your being and, and covered in beautiful stones reflecting uh, the radiating glory of God from his throne. This was Lucifer, the most beautiful thing God ever created, as some people say. He failed. The Bible says God offered him no help whatsoever. Hebrews, read it, it's in Hebrews. But when we fail, he didn't just send angels to help us. He sent Jesus to not just help us, but to die for us. Then become our, he, Jesus then becomes our mediator in heaven 
He then sends the Holy Spirit to help us, our mediator, our helper on the earth. We got a helper in heaven and a helper on the earth. Jesus, part of the eternal community in heaven. Holy Spirit, part of the community, eternal community in heaven. He's on the earth. All helping you and me make it. Why? Why? Well, it's just God. God just anybody that falls, God hell. He didn't help them angels that fell. And create those angels to have fellowship with Himself. He created me and you to have fellowship with Him. So He sends Jesus to die for us just to give us, here's that word again, opportunity, access. No guarantee that any of us would accept the opportunity or or accept and, and use the access to get back in fellowship and right standing with God. But He came to do it just in hopes and in faith that we would. I hope that and I believe that I feel certain that everyone in the room is. I'm talking about folks sometimes listening online. I'm not sure exactly who all those people are. Holy Spirit knows. I hope that you have, and I know that I'm just kind of talking tonight and not showing you verse by verse like I like to do, especially on a Wednesday night, teach you verse by verse. But I hope you have enough of the word in you to, to hear it, even though I'm not saying chapter and verse, as, as, I'm, as I'm speaking to you, that I'm not just making all this up. I'm talking about, you know, Ephesians 2, seated together with Jesus in heavenly paces. Romans 8, heir of God, um, joint heir together with Jesus. I mean, it, you know, the, the, these are all these things that have been given, everything that pertains to life and godliness. <laughs> why, why did he, it, you understand what I'm saying? He didn't have to bless you with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus just to get you saved. Anybody in here have any problem believing that Jesus has been blessed with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places? No. Jesus has been blessed with that. See, in Father's eyes, you're the body of Christ. You're the bride of Christ. You You have the same status. You have the same opportunity. You have the same access to these things as Jesus. So, He's not going to do for Jesus what He didn't do. What he, he's not going to do something for Jesus and not do it for you. Fellowship. That's fellowship. Now, relationship is do for Jesus, and but you're not Jesus. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? I'm going to give all this to Jesus, but I ain't giving it to you because you ain't Jesus. You don't have the same standing with me that Jesus has. You don't have the same status standing. I'm using different words here. But whose right standing do we have? Whose right standing have we been given with the Father? We do not have some lesser, weaker version of standing with the Father. We have been made the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus. We have the same right standing with God the Father as Jesus. You'll never understand righteousness until you understand fellowship. Why would he give you that kind of standing? Not just give it to you, make you righteous. Again, because if you don't have the standing, you can't have the fellowship. You can't have fellowship without the standing. So he gave you the standing because he wants the fellowship. If all he was interested in was a relationship with you, well then, you don't, you don't get the same standing with him as Jesus. 
Romans 8, right? He determined before any of us were born that every one of us would be as Jesus is to him, conformed into the image of his Son. Now, a lot of people have chosen to do something other than that. But that's his desire. That's his heart. Wow. Wow. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Mm -mm -mm. Let me give you a couple of verses and we'll... Amen. 1 Corinthians 1, 9. God is faithful by whom you were called into the fellowship of His Son, Jesus Christ our Lord. 1 John 1 and 3. That which we have seen and heard we declare to you. Certainly that you can be saved. Certainly that you can be set free from the curse. Certainly that you not spend eternity in the devil's hell. But notice at this point in John's understanding and revelation of all this, he said, the gospel that we've heard and the things that we've been eyewitness testimony to, we declare to you ultimately so that you might have fellowship with us. And truly, our fellowship is with the Father and with His Son, Jesus Christ. Amen. So when Jesus says he's not ashamed, come on now, he's not ashamed. To say that you have become a partaker of the same nature that he has. That you were born in the same womb, from the same seed. Not ashamed to say that he's one with you. Rejoices at the opportunity to declare the victory that He's won on your behalf. It's fellowship. It's fellowship. Jesus recognizes and honors you as an individual member of His own body. I think sometimes in our extracting truth about marriage from these verses, we miss... Certainly marriage is to be learned about here, but the overarching truth is not marriage between a man and a woman, but covenant between God and man. For no one ever hated his own flesh, but nourishes and cherishes it. Just as the Lord does the church, the church which is his body, for we are members of his body, of his flesh, and of his bones. One body, many members, the Bible says. How do you become a member of the body of Christ? Born again. Born of the same seed. Born of the same womb. Entering into that community of love and fellowship that joins and unites and and, and binds us together. And there is not a single member of the body of Christ that Jesus is embarrassed or ashamed of. He recognizes and honors you as an individual member of his body. Let me say this and we'll finish, okay? 
If you are born again, you are as one with Jesus as much as any member of your body is one with you. I'm as, I'm as much one with Jesus as, as my right hand, that we've talked a lot about here lately, is a member of, of me. No, no, according to the scriptures, no, no different. And so because you and I are members of the same body, the Bible says we're now members of one another. See, this is, this is a whole lot of what Jesus was praying about in John the 17th chapter. That functional oneness of his body. We've looked at what that looks like in marriage, right? I mean, you've got the marriage covenant that creates the positional oneness between a man and a woman. But then you've got to walk that out and, and that functional oneness develops as you learn how to work together and, and function together as man and wife and function together as one. Now, when it comes to the body of Christ, one body, one head, one spirit, right? Holy Spirit that brought us in, that we all drink from and receive life from. But it's many members, and we're individually members of the body of Christ and members of one another. So for there to be this functional oneness amongst all the individual members, you and me and others, right? For there to be that functional oneness in the body of Christ, okay, there has, there has to be this understanding and revelation of fellowship. And so watch this now. The more, the more we understand our oneness with the head, Jesus, the more our oneness with one another functionally, positionally we're one. Positionally we're in this thing together. Come on now. I'm glad to be in it with you guys. Are you hearing me? I'm glad. Matter of fact, I'm, I'm, I can't think of anybody I would rather be in it more than with you. Amen. And not those members of this family of faith, this household of faith that, that are watching online. Praise God. Man. Man. I mean, the Bible says the Holy Spirit sets the member in the body where it belongs. That means the, the church, the pastor, the, 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 the um, you know, many members, but my pinky's where it is on, on purpose, right? And whatever member you may be and where you belong in the body, he does that. Amen. And it's, a, and it's an amazing thing and it's, an, and it's a beautiful thing. See, we, we've, we've, we've depended on, and, and they have their place, don't misunderstand me. We've, we've depended on the Billy Grahams and the Kenneth Copelands and the, and the, and the, and the people who reach, you know, the Jerry Marilyn O'Dell reach thousands and thousands and thousands of people. But Father's vision, as important and as blessed and as rewarded as those types of people will be one day in heaven, what, he, what I think ultimately is going to usher in the end time revival and the second coming of Jesus, the return of Jesus to the earth, I should say the rapture, and then the, is, is going to be the body. He's coming for a bride without spot and wrinkle. He's coming for... An, the Bible doesn't say this in these exact words, but it's certainly throughout the word. He's coming for a bride without spot and wrinkle, and he's coming for a body that's functional. He's not coming for a dysfunctional body. He's coming for a functional body. Amen. And it's the, and it's the fellowship. Remember we said this, that your primary purpose, number one purpose, fellowship with the Father, every other purpose is not only secondary, but dependent upon. See, 
the key to people dwelling together in unity is fellowship with the Father. Amen. See, we understand how much fellowship means to Him and the price that He paid for, to be able to have fellowship with us. You, you start being a lot more forbearing with other members of the body of Christ. Amen. You start being a, it's like, you know what? I'm not going to let some silly idiosyncrasy create strife and, and um, interrupt and hinder fellowship. It's not worth it. I had a brother kind of, um, doesn't go to this church. He's a part of another ministry that I, I serve at sometimes, not the foundry, so don't start trying to figure all that out, please. But got a little sharp with me. And I don't know, just having a stress day or whatever, you know, and, and uh, something I was volunteering to do, you know, I'm saying on a Friday. Um, and uh, got a little sharp with me. And man, you know, I, I communicate for a living. I could, I, and, and, I, and I said, you know what? Uh-uh. Uh-uh. You know, I'm not, it's not worth it, you know. I, I apologize. I didn't feel like I was in the wrong. I apologize to him. And, and I'm not trying to pat myself on the back. I'm just saying that it's because of, the, what the Lord's revealing to me about fellowship. It ain't, he was wrong, but, you know, if the Lord told me to correct him or whatever, but that's the again, it, it's not worth, because I know this brother, I know his heart, I know that's not, he was just having a bad morning or whatever, but I'm just saying, it's just, it's too important, it's too precious. Fellowship is too important, too precious. When you look at all that Father did to keep our fellowship with him from being interrupted, all that he... <laughs> See, this goes back, the, the answer for everything, this goes back to Jesus, forgive you, brother, seven times 70, 490 times a day for the same offense. The only way that ever makes sense to you is if you understand how much Father wants our lives to be strife-free, where there's envy and strife, there's confusion in every evil work. He wants that out of there. He wants... Because he doesn't want anything to come. So think of all the things. Next time, you know, somebody rubs you a little bit the wrong way or whatever, think of all the things that Father shows you mercy and grace uh, for in your life to prevent those things from interrupting fellowship with Him. And then you extend that same mercy to other people, right? Amen. Are you seeing this? So Jesus talked about the man that was forgiven much. And then he went out and grabbed somebody that owed him just a few dollars by the throat and said, pay me. See, that ain't, uh-uh. We've been forgiven much, and we need to be forgivers of ourse- forgivers ourselves. Amen. Well, I could go for another two hours. Stand with me. Are you getting anything out of this tonight? I hope you are. I pray that you are. Just sharing my heart with you, bearing my heart with you. Amen. I understand the sentiment of wanting to be used by God. Maybe we'll jump in here next week. I don't know. When I was younger, I used to beg God, use me. I want to be used by you, God. I want to be used. Oh, God, use me. God, use me. Oh, God, please use me. Find some way to use me, God. Use me, use me, use me. And that is such a wrong attitude. I understand the sentiment of wanting to be used by God, but you're so much more than a tool in His hand. You are His hands. The concept of being used by comes from the world and does not align with fellowship. A hammer in my hand is not a member of my body. 
We have a brush and we're cutting in now, for those of you who know what that means. But desiring to be useful and contribute in a meaningful way is a beautiful thing, but shouldn't be thought of or communicated by saying used by. In no other context is being used considered a positive thing. You know, somebody comes home from work. Did you have a good work? They were, they ain't, they're just using me up down there. Just using me. Just, just using. All them people do is use me down there. See, see there, in no other context is somebody using you considered a positive thing. Does a carpenter has a, have a relationship with his tools? Absolutely. We might even say that the brush in the hand of an artist is an extension of the artist. But we are more than just an extension of Jesus. We are His body. Amen. Father, thank You for this time together tonight. Thank You for Your love. Thank You for showing us and exposing, Lord, for us the lies of the enemy. Thank You, Father, for helping us understand that we're a part of something much bigger than ourselves. And, Lord, much bigger than any of us maybe have ever even dreamed or imagined because you are the God who does exceedingly abundantly above all that we could ask or think Father help us to embrace first of all let me let me back up Father help us to understand these things from your perspective from your heart from what you long for from us Lord what you desire to have with us Lord help us understand that Lord Jesus Help us understand what's really, really, really going on here and what it is that we'll be doing for all of eternity. We're going to spend eternity in very, very close face-to-face fellowship with you and with other members of the body of Christ. Father, help us to learn in this life two of the most important lessons there are for us to learn, how to love and how to trust how to love and how to trust. Love and trust deepen fellowship in ways, Father, that we only understand through experience. Holy Spirit, teach us to love and teach us to trust. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you so much for being here this evening. You're a blessing. God is good. You have a great, great, great rest of your week.